0: Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording through Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. I... Still, even though it took place a few weeks ago, or months ago, I don't know how long it's been. When did the World Series end? It seems like it was years ago, based upon all the events that have happened in the world over the last bunch of weeks. Well, whatever Game 7 of the World Series is, I'm still kind of trembling from it. It still was such an amazing game, and I think the thing that made it an amazing game was Raji Davis's homer. It's strange that I say that, that an event that took place on the losing team was what made it such a great game. But, it, but it's true, and it's not just because I was rooting for Cleveland. It's because that's what transformed that game from being an okay game, maybe a little sloppy game, that the Cubs took an early lead. The Indians came back a little but couldn't quite get over the hump, and the Cubs won. It would have been a historic game. Had the Cubs won 6-4. But it was an all-time classic because with two outs and two strikes or whatever it was, with two outs, Davis hit the two-run homer, it was tied, and it went in extra innings. That's when it went from historic to epic. And even though Chicago won, and I got my wish that it was not a Chapman save at the end, it was a player on the losing side That made it so memorable. And someday I'll sit down and write a list of the games where the memorable thing happened with a player on the losing team. I can think of another Game 7, which was Game 7 of the 2006 National League Championship Series between the Cardinals and the Mets, which was a phenomenal game. And if there's anything that anyone remembers about that game, it's the Andy Chavez catch. That spectacular moment where he pulled back a potential tie-breaking home run, not potential, it was a tie-breaking home run, and turned it into an inning-ending double play is still one of the most remarkable plays I've ever seen in baseball, and elevated that game to a new level. But there was an image that took place after the Rajay Davis homer that made me think about something. The image was LeBron James was in one of the luxury boxes, and he was cheering and doing the the flexing thing, like the, like the bodybuilder, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs and everything, cheering on because he knows what he means to Cleveland, and he knows what the championship that he delivered last uh, last June meant to the city of Cleveland, and that he was supporting the Indians. And there were members of the Cavs who would come over, walk over from the, I'm still calling it the Gund arena. I can't remember what the hell it's called. And there is a crossover of players on the Cavaliers who were supporting the Indians. Because it is an acknowledgement that the people who are supporting the team in the basketball arena are, for the most part, the ones who are supporting them on the baseball field, and vice versa. Now, I think there's something to be said for that. And I may have brought this up on an earlier podcast. You'll forgive me. I've done a lot of them. But I think there's something to be said about creating something that you agree to do as a player, which is... When you play in this city, you will support the other teams in this city. That if you are playing for this team, you will at least outwardly, at least publicly, be a fan of the other teams in the city. Now that may seem bizarre, but it helps helps create a sense of community with the fans. I'll tell you what I mean by it. I sometimes find it strange when it's like, like Tim Lincecum is a huge Seattle Seahawks fan because he's from Washington, and he cheers on the Seahawks. But when he was with the Giants, don't, wouldn't he have been, wouldn't you have expected him to be rooting for the 49ers? I mean, he was San Francisco at his peak. It just seems like there should be a certain amount of synergy. Now, there's a lot of times you will see other teams in the region support the other teams, especially when times are good. There you see a lot of crossover. The Red Sox bring in a lot of former Celtics, bring in a lot of former Bruins, bring in a lot of former you know, Patriots, and they, and they seem to cross-pollinate, especially over the last 10, 15 years when the city of Boston has been the host for so many champions and championships. You know all the teams of all the four major teams of one and blah blah blah, but I think that that should be part of the understanding of being a player on the team. you're being paid a lot of money, and part of the reason you being paid a lot of money is to perform on the field, but you're also providing entertainment and you're also providing a connection with the fans. There was a point where I felt LeBron didn't get it when LeBron famously went. The same year that they went, the Cavaliers went to their first NBA final in 2007, LeBron was seen at the division series between the Cleveland Indians and the New York Yankees wearing a Yankees hat and waving the Yankee hat around like, yeah, I grew up a Yankee fan. Yeah, but you're now Cleveland. And now he kind of gets it. I find that, by the way, just, I know this is not Sully Basketball, but I find the narrative of LeBron to be one of the most fascinating in the history of sports, especially that he was gonna be the savior of Cleveland. He left for four years to learn how to be a champion, returned, it was like the return of the king, and brought the Cavaliers back-to-back NBA Finals appearances and one of the most stunning and amazing comebacks in NBA Finals history to deliver. He delivered on the promise he did it. And because of that he is the greatest hero, sports hero in the history of Ohio. He just is. Or at least the history of Cleveland. He is. There are other great players in the history of Ohio of Cleveland. Jim Brown of course, Bob Feller of course, Napoleon Lagrange. None will be bigger than LeBron. <clears throat> it just if you don't agree with me, it's because you're Skip Bayless. But there was a huge difference between him waving his Yankee hat as a proverbial middle finger and him bringing the Cavaliers over and cheering them on and rallying everyone. He now gets it. He understands. And he understands what that cross-pollinization means. And I think that should be a part. That should be part of the community. That should be part of what is expected of a player. I almost, I'll tell you a little secret, I almost did. In terms of changing an allegiance based upon employment and based upon outward appearances. I was up for a job. I'm not going to get into it, but it would have involved me being paid by a company to do promotion stuff on camera and behind the scenes for a Major League Baseball team that was not the Boston Red Sox. I'm not gonna get into it because it wasn't because of me, it was just the project that I was gonna work on uh, went away. So it wasn't like, oh, we're not gonna hire Sully. It's just like, now they pulled the plug on the project. I was gonna do video stuff and humorous stuff and everything for a team. And if that had happened, I would have referred to this team as we. I would have worn the hat, I would have been outwardly a fan of this team, because that would have been my job, and also it would have been a hell of a lot easier to do, especially since my team, the Red Sox, have won three championships over the last bunch of years, so therefore I can afford to be, I can't say, oh, well, will I ever see, probably, when? will I live long enough to see a fourth championship? Yeah, yeah, my fandom is for sale. Money talks. But that should go the same way with the players. You should be able to be expected to say, hey, look it, we want to have some of the stars of the basketball team along the third base line or by the, the front of the ice at the hockey game or we'll see them on the sideline waving them there at the football game because there is a connection. Championships and sports don't necessarily happen in vacuums. A title in one sport can alleviate the pressure off of another sport. You don't believe me? Let's go back to Cleveland. The Indians lost a World Series where they're up three games to one, had their best pitcher going up in the seventh game, had an unhittable bullpen going in the seventh game that was rested and ready, and were one swing away. They had an exhausted closer on the mound for the Cubs. They had three of their best power hitters up in Santana, in Kipnis, and in Lindor. And if one of them hit a home run off of an exhausted and demoralized Aroldis Chapman, who's an asshole, in the ninth inning of Game 7 of the World Series, they would have won the World Series. Instead, they lost. And it was a crushing loss for Cleveland fans. Imagine the emotion amongst Cleveland fans had the Cavaliers not won the NBA title just a few months prior. It's connected. Because the curse on Cleveland, or the frustration in Cleveland, if you don't want to use the word curse, is that they didn't win anything. Browns, Cavs, Indians, hell, they lost their hockey team, the Barons. They couldn't win piddly-poo in any of their sports since 1964, since before there was a Super Bowl. And there have been 50 Super Bowls. So you do the f and math of how long Cleveland fans have been frustrated. Now, if they hadn't won the NBA title in June, this would have been, well, first of all, if you were still waiting for Cleveland to have their agony, uh, soothed, and had the Cubs in the World Series, that would have been, it was dramatic enough, but to have that happen would be just, man, unreal. But with that element gone, with Cleveland fans no longer saying, oh, when will we ever see a champion?" Oh, we just did. And chances are they're going to go to another NBA final. So, yes, this Indians loss hurt badly. But with LeBron witnessing there, it was a little bit less because of how the Cleveland fan, many of whom would have been at the Cavs game or been at the Indians game, had been relieved slightly of the pressure. You know, I don't really get emotionally invested in other sports as much as baseball, obviously. Basketball is my second favorite sport. I do. I am an NBA fan, not nearly as much as baseball, of course. But I do think that when I watch the, you know, when I kind of casually follow a league or a sport, that I think of it in terms of the baseball fan. I think of it in terms of, well, the team. You know, yeah, This team. I don't really know much about this sport. I don't know much of the players there. But if they win the championship this year, this team wins that, that wins that, I like to think of it in terms of a fan base that has not much to cheer for in baseball, but that, they can at least have some of their, their frustrations alleviated by this championship. An example, uh, other than the Cavaliers, Colorado Rocky fans. There are many out there. Some of them follow me. And I'm sure some of them are frustrated. Geez, are we ever going to put together another pennant winner? Is it ever going to click? I don't know. But do you know what? This Broncos Super Bowl title may help ease some of that tension. Pirate fans, my God, they haven't seen a pennant since 1979. And they saw a wonderful team in the early 1990s and another wonderful team in the mid-2010s put together a nice run and have it result in exactly one advancement in the postseason. That was winning the wild card game in 2013. But the Penguins won the Stanley Cup, and the Steelers have won recent Super Bowls. So that should take a little bit of the pressure off of them, just a little bit. I'll tell you, one of the most underrated, uh, uh, cursed cities was Seattle, with the Mariners never winning a pennant, the Seahawks getting clubbed in their only Super Bowl appearance. They hadn't won anything since the 1979 NBA or seven was the 79 or 78 NBA Finals. And that was the Seattle Supersonics, who are now gone. And Seattle, which at one time was a great basketball city, had their team ripped away from them, and now they're playing in Oklahoma freaking homa. And the city the, the city of Seattle hadn't had squat but ah when the Seahawks beat Denver a few years ago that, I thought of that in terms of the Mariners when I saw the Seahawks win I thought of the Seattle Mariners I thought of Griffey I thought of Ichiro I thought of Edgar Martinez and thought like well they never won but at least those fans got to have a title it's strange that there are crossovers, but you can think about a fan. Chances are, and there, are, of course, there are exceptions. Like I'm, I, I mean, I'm a very casual football fan. I don't really have a team. If I do, I suppose it's the New York Giants, or maybe it's the Patriots. I don't know. I don't really follow it anymore at all. Uh, and hockey, uh, my hockey team has always been the San Jose Sharks. And so, I mean, yeah, so aren't you a Bruins fan? Aren't you a Patriots fan? I don't really care. I am glad the Sharks made the, the finals last year. It was fun, you know, but I don't get into it the same way. But most people are fans of the teams of their region. Most people, if you know someone who grew up here or grew up there, of course, it's a little stranger when they have two teams. You know, if you're in New York, you got to pick which way. Are you a Met, Yankee? Are you a Jet, Giant? Are you a Nick Net? Are you a Devil, Islander, Ranger? I mean, it's more complex. It's more complex to do it that way. And maybe they have to set up the contract. If you're like, okay, when you're here, you've got to root for the Yankees, you got to root for the Islanders, and you got to root for the Knicks. I don't know how that will work out. But there is a crossover. And perhaps some sports fandom can be alleviated. Some of the pain can be alleviated. With a championship in another sport. It happened basketball and baseball just this year. Happened in football and baseball with Seattle and with Denver. And they don't exist in a cloud. So let me tell you something, what I'm going to do right now. It's the offseason. And someone had asked if I could do this. I'm going to reveal something. Your pal Sully, over the summer, took a long trip east, and on that long trip east, I recorded many, 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 like two or three weeks worth of evergreen podcasts, because I wanted to just not record podcasts, I just wanted to spend the time on this vacation. I also knew along the way that the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to be in the NBA Finals, while I was on vacation, and I had some thoughts on the matter. So I did two things. I recorded a podcast if they won, and I recorded a podcast if they lost. They won. I dropped it immediately. Everything I said in that podcast was valid. I had no idea how it was going to end. Someone had requested, because they figured it out, if I would ever publish the phantom the cleveland cavaliers lost the nba finals podcast and do what i'm going to do i'm going to do that as a bonus today so if you're a fan of the Sully baseball daily podcast know that i actually record will record 367 podcasts this year and i'm going to tack this one on the end of this one so this is a rare double episode my thoughts of the cross-pollinization of sports and sports fandom, and now you'll hear the podcast that I did if and would publish if the Cleveland Cavaliers lost the NBA Finals. And the gist of it was very similar to what I was talking about today, which is sports and sports teams and sports fandom seldom exist in a vacuum. So, here is the podcast I recorded, If the Cavaliers Had Lost. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast where we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and former Detroit Tigers star, Dan Petrie. I'm not going to talk about Detroit today. I'm going to talk about Cleveland. Cleveland, look at there is a narrative that goes around. And I know people are sometimes sick of narratives and people are sick of things that are the sports story outside of the events on the field or in the court or in the rink. But that also is how we, at least for people in my generation, enjoy sports, that there's an element, it's not just a game being played in a vacuum that it takes place in a city in a certain time in a certain region. You know, there are times when a city is down on its luck, or a moment when there has been a uh, a tragedy in an event. You know, the Yankees in the 2001 World Series post-9-11, the Yankees winning the World Series in 1977, right after the the year that, you know, the Ford to City dropped dead, there was a sense of victory and rejuvenation. The Boston Strong... World Series for the Red Sox in 2013, the Giants and A's in the World Series in 1989 after the earthquake. There are elements that happen where the city, the character of the city, the events of the city, and the thoughts of the city become linked with the fortunes of the football team. You can't watch... The Saints win the Super Bowl when they won the Super Bowl and not think about everything that happened in New Orleans after Katrina. That doesn't erase goddamn Katrina. Just like the Red Sox winning 2013 didn't make suddenly... There was no marathon bombing. The Yankees winning the pen in 2001 didn't suddenly rebuild the Twin Towers. I get it. I understand it. I understand that sometimes it will... It could be a mask. If you talk about the city of Cleveland and so say they're needing a championship in Cleveland, they haven't won one since 1964, a Cleveland Cavaliers or Browns or Indians championship suddenly wouldn't make industry pop up in Cleveland. Wouldn't suddenly make it a thriving metropolis with new factories and new jobs and suddenly becoming a mecca. I understand that. And I understand that sometimes we put an emotional attachment upon a city's need for a championship, and that could lead to hucksters, that could lead to billionaires squeezing hundreds of millions of dollars out of cities, some of which are teetering on financial ruin for their own stadiums. And I think that that's wrong. And I think that 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 hucksterism, and it is. If you are saying, hey, we want to build a stadium we want to do with public money, I'm sorry, you're a huckster. If it's such a great deal, you build it. The city's not there to build your palace. The city's got to pave streets, pay some teachers and get the cops and the firefighters well-funded. Not to build a new arena for the Sacramento Kings. I get that. I understand that. But there's also a sense that sometimes it's nice to have that celebration. Sometimes it's nice to have that feeling of, yeah, we had fun. We're all having fun. And to have a moment where you have people stopping, reminding you of futility. I know something about this. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan who's lived in New York, who's lived in Los Angeles, who lived in San Francisco, went all over the place. I've been everywhere, man. And no matter where I went, people would bring up Bill Buckner. People would bring up Bucky Dent. People would bring up 1918 until 2004. It was so ingrained in our identity that people just knew to say that. People still say Bill Buckner to me. My team's won three World Series since 2004, which was 12 years ago. using the rule of seven. If you're younger than 19 years old, you don't know what the hell the Curse of the Bambino is. And yet, it's there. And it's there sports-wise for Cleveland. Now, you, it may be, you may think it's bullshit that people put such an effect, but it's you can't control your narrative. You can't. If you are a Cub fan, they're going to bring up Billy Goats. They are going to bring up Bartman. You can't control that. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, they're going to bring up the fact that no one's in that ugly stadium. And if you're a Cleveland fan, they will bring up that you haven't won Piddly Poo since the 1964 NFL Championship. Not the Super Bowl, the NFL Championship because there was no Super Bowl yet. And as I pointed out, Cleveland couldn't even win a World Series in the Major League movies. And here they have been blessed and given this great star in LeBron James. And he's taken the the city of Cleveland, delivered an NBA finals to them three times in the last ten years or so. That included a four year sabbatical in Miami where he goes to four finals and wins a couple of them. And Comes back with the lone goal of being that knight holding a sword up to deliver and to end this for the city of Cleveland. And as we saw last night, it ain't happening. The Golden State Warriors are the NBA champions. And I am not here to break down the game. There are people, you know, go listen to Bill Simmons, go listen to NBA com or whatever it is, there are people who know basketball better than me. I like basketball. I mean, I'm in the Bay Area, but I was rooting for the Cavaliers because I want this narrative to be over. It's a release when it's over, when there's an ending. When it was the Dave Robert Steele and Poppy getting the hits, and yes, the bloody sock. Don't ever, ever, ever turn away from Kurt Schilling and his role in that. Renteria, back to Folk, over to Minkiewicz. The curse is over. The relief, the release of it. I want people from Cleveland to feel that. I really do. Do you know why? Because it's great. It's great. And it means that you can now relax and enjoy sports. One of the things that I realized that after the Red Sox won the World Series was that I found myself enjoying baseball more. My love for baseball was always there. My intensity for baseball was always there. But when the Red Sox would lose and I saw them lose in the uh, I saw them losing in the World Series in '86, obviously, that left a scar. I was there when they were eliminated in 1988, ALCS, I was at the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, I saw them lose the 90 playoffs. I saw them lose the 95 playoffs, uh, the 98 playoffs, the 99 playoffs. All, the, I mean, 95, 98, 99, and 2005, they were eliminated at home. And 2009, they were eliminated at home every time. But, and when they got eliminated, when they lost stupidly, when they blew big games, There was a sense at the end of not just, damn it, we lost, but I'm never going to experience this. Why am I pushing this? Why am I banging my head? It's not fun. It's what my wife said to me after the Aaron Boone game. After the Aaron Boone game, my wife said to me, why are you doing this? You're not enjoying it. It's not fun for you. And maybe she was right. Because she saw that this game, a game being played by millionaires, and none of them at the time knew who I I even was. And I say at the time because I'd like to think some of them watched Curse of the Bambina. And I was devastated. You would have thought I lost a family member. He said, you're not enjoying this. Why are you doing this if you're not enjoying it? And maybe she was right. And the next year when they were back in the playoffs, she said, stop it, stop it. You're just going to have the same feeling. And do you what happened? A new feeling, exultation, a new feeling, happiness, joy, a sense that I'll never have to look at all those, that stupid montage again. And uh, you heard people say all this idiotic, moronic stuff. Like, you know you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You're gonna miss that feeling. You're you're, you're gonna wish you were losers. And it turns out those people were 100% wrong. They miss it. They miss saying 1918. They miss reminding us of Bucky Dent and Bill Buckner and all that other shit. I put a little E for explicit on today's episode. Do you know why? I'm gonna swear. I'm standing at this point. And do you know what? I don't care. If the quality of sound here isn't perfect, what am I, freaking Phil Spector here? I'm a lunatic doing a baseball podcast, so you better deal with it. You better deal with the little quirks of this because I'm on a roll. What I found out afterwards, it was like what I've heard. I'm doing I'm doing metaphors within metaphors at this point. So please, some of you be keeping a chart. I'm not a smoker. I never understood the, the appeal of someone smoking. I tried to smoke cigarettes when I was in high school because that's the law, everyone has to. And I was smoking with someone after, after a you know, drama practice. I thought, oh, those cool kids are doing this. And I inhaled it, I said, this, this is awful. And the person I was smoking with said, yeah, you have to get used to it. I think, why do I wanna get used to this? I have to make an effort? To appreciate something that will give you cancer and addiction? No, no. I mean, you don't have to get used to a donut. Don't you bite into a donut. A donut is great. So I didn't want to do that. But so I'm, I've never been a smoker. But I've heard people who have been smokers say that when they have kicked that addiction they have discovered that they taste food better that things taste differently to them that they didn't realize how good this was or that was because the smoking was impairing their enjoyment of things this is where i'm bringing it back well i found out that all the craziness the all the craziness of the curse and all the craziness, and when i say the curse i I know there's not an actual curse that was on the Red Sox. I do know there were other factors. I think the Yankees had a hell of a lot more to do with the Red Sox' demise than Babe Ruth. But I also think that there was something true. that If you have an entire region staring at you going, you're going to screw up, 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 you're going to screw up. Eventually, you're going to screw up. And I found that once we've lifted all those things, it was like the smoker tasting things for the first time. I've been able to watch baseball... And enjoy it. And I've seen the Red Sox have a couple of heartbreaking losses, losing in 2008 in Game Seven to the Tampa Bay Rays, bases loaded, David Price, who I think was nine years old at the time, striking out J.D. Drew with the bases loaded. That was a devastating loss. The collapse of Jonathan Papelbon. In the 2009 division series against the Angels, a team that I thought the Red Sox were going to kick their butts, and we're going to have a Red Sox-Yankees showdown in the ALCS. Instead, the Angels swept them and had this weird comeback in the third game. And then, of course, the great collapse of 2011, where it was just that was a great old-fashioned Red Sox faceplant ending with a, a, the visual of Carl Crawford making the dive and where one swing of the bat by the Orioles, one swing of the bat by the Rays, the Red Sox are in the postseason and I think may have done well in that postseason. And instead they had that humiliating defeat on the final day of the season coupled with the Longoria walk-off in Tampa. And next thing you know, the entire season was, was a catastrophe, which led to the Bobby Valentine fiasco. Those are events pre 2004 that would have had all not just all of New England but all of us I was in I was in California for those all of us who experienced that would just be looking up to the heavens and saying like you know must you keep cursing us must you keep tormenting us and instead you know what happened i said damn it that sucks and went on with my life. Now, it helped in 2013, the Red Sox won the World Series. The minute they won the World Series in 2013, that suddenly made 2013 or 20, the 2011 collapse no longer became a bad thing, but it became the prologue to the glory. Kind of like how Aaron Boone is the prologue to the greatness of 2004. Granted, that helped a little. But even the night of the great collapse... And I was packing the apartment that we were living in. We were about to move to a house. And we were packing, and I was watching that. And I watched the end of the game as I was packing. And I, was, I wanted to, to have a release and to be like, I'm so frustrated. And I acted frustrated. My wife said, why? What's the matter? And I pointed, out, well, the Red Sox lost. The season's over. She said, pack that box over there. And I packed it. And next thing you know, we were moving into our new place. Years before, I said, I need a month to digest this because of cosmic rays. And now I don't. How I can just be a human being and watch it. And that's what I want to give. I want Cleveland fans to experience that. I want Cleveland fans to feel that. That's why I was rooting for the Cavaliers. Not that I have anything against the Warriors. The Warriors won the NBA title last year. They may win the NBA title next year. But the fact of the matter is, I wanted that to happen, to have that relief. Also, it would be a great ending to the LeBron narrative. I, I happen to be a LeBron fan. And I don't understand these people who criticize them like crazy. The people who say, LeBron, well, he's not Jordan. What the hell is the matter with you? Yeah, he's LeBron. He's also great. I wonder if those people also, if they watch a Coen Brothers film, and they say, well, she's, she's, they're not Scorsese, let me tell you that. No, but they're both great. You know, why, why can't someone be great on their own terms? Why do you have to say, well, you're not the greatest of all time, ergo, fuck you. How does that make sense? Sorry, Mom, I dropped an F-bomb. I want Cleveland. So I want that. That would be a great ending for the LeBron narrative, but also for Cleveland fans. Now, granted, the Indians are off to a good start, and that AL Central is really, really weird. So next thing you know, the Indians may be in the World Series this year. I don't know. Do you know who's going to win the American League pennant? I sure don't. American League's a weird league. So the Indians could be the one. Essentially, the Indians, you're on the clock now. Whatever team is going to be the one who delivers this championship to Cleveland will be the one that is worshipped forever. We've seen the Cavaliers come close these last two years. It hasn't happened. We saw the Browns In the mid-80s, get close. and Who knows what the hell they're doing now, but we've seen the team that the Browns used to be. The Browns became the Baltimore Ravens that have won two Super Bowls for Baltimore. And, of course, we've seen how close the Indians have come. I wouldn't mind seeing the Indians win the World Series because, and they certainly have some players to get them into the playoffs, and who knows if Kluber and all of them pitch super well you know, as a Red Sox fan, to look up and see Terry Francona there. In my mind, I still love my, my Tito. And if he wins a World Series with the Cleveland Indians, then guess what? Start rehearsing your Hall of Fame speech. And guess what? I know Tito may have had some issues with drinking in the past, and you better avoid those bars in Cleveland, because forget buying you a drink, they'll buy you the damn bar. But I want Cleveland fans to experience the release. I want Cleveland fans to be able to watch a game where you have the future moment of Jordan shooting over Elo, of wide right. No, that's Buffalo. What is it? What is the one where it was the, they threw the interception to the dude on the Raiders? I don't know football that well. Or the drive, or the fumble, or Jose Mesa, or whatever. You know, Ricky Vaughn, Wild Thing Vaughn, blowing it in the playoffs off screen. To to have when when that moment comes up, it's not about reliving championships. It's when you experience the lousy moments. They'll no longer have the sting, because you won't ever have to ask yourself, "Am I going to see them win?" It carries on for Cleveland. It may go on into the fall. And let me tell you something in terms of a matchup, part of me would love to see the Indians play the Cubs just because the something's got to give matchup of that. But all that being said, I know that if the Cavaliers had won people of Cleveland would not suddenly be wealthy. It would not suddenly have the river flowing strawberry ice cream and raining gold from the sky. But would have made these days of being a sports fan fun. Which, trust me, is the point of it. And it's so much better that way. Go to MLBReports.com to see my latest update of Who Owns Baseball. Uh, Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kalisky. This is the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, tipping my hat to my many Cleveland fan friends. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.